Let's hear God's word via David on what it means to be human. I'll start. For the director of music, according to Gitteh, a psalm of David together. Lord, Lord our Lord, Lord. How, how majestic is your name in all the earth. earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Lord, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, What is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds, and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky, and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's open our Bibles in 1 Peter this evening. I'll be reading from verses 13 to 21. And just before this in chapter 1, Peter writes to the elect exiles, and he tells them what God has done. And he tells them about the prophets searching intently, serving us and angels, longing to look into those things. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Good evening. Thank you, Mike, for the reading of the word. And thank you, worship team, wherever you are, for leading such a beautiful choir into God's worship. Several years ago, when our family used to live in the States, a woman, whom we will call Leila tonight, walked into our church in Michigan with her eight-year-old son. I got to meet Layla and find out, found out that Layla was from a Middle Eastern country, born to a Muslim family, and 
they immigrated to the States when she was very little. They settled in Chicago, where Leila went to school. Leila was the dream daughter that every Middle Eastern parent would love to have. Ask me, I know. <laughs> she was obedient to her parents, kind to her siblings. She did very well at school, graduated from college with honors, and she was content to marry the man that her family chose for her, and even bore him a son before their first wedding anniversary. A dream daughter for a Middle Eastern family. Leila brought so much honor to her parents and to her husband until the day she decided to share with them that she had become a Christian. Her husband immediately divorced her as an infidel and threatened to take their child away. Her parents were kind initially, hoping that through their kindness they can lure her back away from her newfound faith. But when that didn't happen, they finally kicked her out with her child. Leila found her way from Chicago to Michigan and showed up at our church just to find a safe place to worship away from her husband's threats to kill her and to kidnap the son. Leila's story seems so out of place, doesn't it? Not in our times, not in the Western Hemisphere. It seems so out of place. It seems like the kind of story that happened so long ago in such an archaic and brutal culture. And you're right. Stories like Leila's were so common in the first century among the early Christian community that lived in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, that's the kind of community that Peter was writing to. That's the kind of letter that we're reading today to that kind of community. Peter was writing to a church that was full of a bunch of Leilas, people who knew exactly what Leila was suffering through, people who have left their homes have become foreigners in foreign lands, exiles, strangers, away from their, home, from, their, from their homelands, leaving behind mothers, fathers, brothers and sisters, husbands and wives, even children, for the sake of their faith in Christ, looking for a new place where they can safely practice their newfound faith in Christ. Leila's story was quite common among that community that Peter was writing to. But what was different between their stories and Leila's story is that they did not live in a democracy in a modern world. In fact, they lived under the reign of Nero an insane ruler who only a few months after the date of writing this letter blamed the fires of Rome on the Christians. And they were living among pre-modern neighbors who were so superstitious that they blamed every natural disaster 
on the Christians and this new religion. Peter was writing to a bunch of Leila's who knew exactly what Leila suffered. Now let me ask you this question. If Leila had come to your church several years ago, as opposed to my church, what would you have said to Leila? Would you have shared some words of comfort, maybe? Would you have taken her to a safe haven? Would you have taken her and her child into your own home? Or maybe you would have advised her to just lay low so that her husband and parents would not find her. Or maybe you would have advised her to lawyer up and return their evil with evil. What would you have said to a person like Leila if she showed up at your local church? Well, let's open our Bibles to see what Peter said to this kind of suffering community in the first century. First Peter, chapter 1 and verse 17. Peter said, Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time here as strangers, foreigners, exiles, and do that in reverent fear. Harsh words from Peter, don't you think? Live out as foreigners and strangers and exiles. What do you call this? We're already living out this way. God, do you see where we are? How much more exiled should we be? How far away from home are we going to land? And do that because the father that you call father is also a judge. So there'll be no excuse for careless misconduct or careless conduct. Be careful. Because he is holy. And you are expected to be holy. To live as exiles in reverent fear because the one who called you, it is written, is holy and you are to be holy because he is holy. I don't hear a lot of pastoral sensitivity in the verse. Not to a suffering community. But the reason Peter wrote those words is because among that community in Asia Minor, some people, when facing so much suffering, they actually relapsed to older ways of living, following their evil desires. And so Peter warns them in verse 14, and he says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. You know better. You have come away from that darkness, from that ignorance. Now you have the light. 
do not conform to those ways. Some have gone that way, but others, in the face of such severe suffering, they returned to the ways of their ancestors, to empty religious rituals that they've inherited from their fathers and mothers. They went back to trying to secure their own redemption, their own salvation through Jewish sacrifices, through the shedding of blood of animals, through the giving of silver and gold to secure for themselves what Christ could not secure for them. Otherwise, why are they suffering so much? And so Peter says to them in verse 18, it's not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your fathers, from your ancestors. Be holy because the one who redeems you is holy. Live as exiles. And I think if we take a good look at ourselves today, I think we would recognize a bit of homesickness within us, a feeling that we're far away from home, a sense that we are in exile ourselves. For some of us, it's physical. You are physically away from home, and you're suffering because of that. But I think on so many levels, all of us are exiles. Maybe emotionally, maybe spiritually, maybe socially or culturally or economically. We feel like we don't belong. We feel like we have no roots. Theologian Ellen Davis defines exile as the loss of your dearest hope. The loss of your dearest hope will make you feel like an exile. And if you lose hope, then you cannot see a future. Exile, a place of exile, a feeling of exile, is a place of radical uncertainty and loneliness. And the soundtrack of our lives becomes the echo of the Emmaus lament. We had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. Exile. The loss of your dearest hope. And when we face that kind of suffering, we find ourselves very much like the early Christians that Peter was writing to. Some of us are tempted to give up the whole thing, go back to our former ways, 
cling to the things that used to give us pleasure and comfort and rest. Because this way of Christ, this way of the suffering servant is just too much and life is too short. And we second guess the decision to obey him and we wonder, is it worth it? Maybe you've gone through something like this. The stuff you had promised yourself never to go back into, you found yourself back there again. The ways that you had turned your back to and thought I would never ever live with that guilt again, you went to bed and you woke up with that same guilt. And maybe it didn't happen with you personally, but you saw it happen to people around you. They started out all excited, they encountered suffering, and they relapsed. Is it really worth it? But then there are others among us who didn't relapse to evil desires, but they went to empty rituals that give some sense of security, some sense of control that God cannot ignore our work for our salvation. Isn't he a just one that judges impartially? Well, let's show him. Let's show him how good we can be. Let's show him how holy we can be. Let's start offering our own sacrifices, our own way, away from Christ's sacrifice. Let's start doing the religious rituals that do not cost us as much, that do not require so much suffering to be dealt with. Let's do Christianity safely. There's got to be a more convenient form of Christianity than the one Christ is calling us to. And we're smart. We can figure it out. Together we can figure it out. We made it to the moon. Can we not come up with a more convenient form of Christianity? And Peter comes and says, not the life you've been called to. You are a chosen people, strangers, foreigners in this world. This is your identity. Live out your identity. And so he goes on to say, let me share with you a new view of suffering. Let me persuade you with the gospel. Maybe then you'll understand that suffering is not something to be avoided, but it's something to be embraced. In fact, it's something to look forward to. Not to create. Not to invent out of nothing. No, that would not be right. But when it comes and when it happens, to embrace it and to look forward to the results that will come out of it, because you know what the result is? Here's what Peter says, verse 6. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come 
so that your faith may be proved genuine and may result in the praise, glory, and honor of Jesus Christ when he's revealed. Peter here is saying, suffering is God's restoration strategy for all who have been redeemed. Suffering is Christ's restoration strategy for all who have been redeemed. The image of God in us that was created in Genesis 1 and 2, that was distorted in Genesis 3, with the promise that it will be restored, happens through our suffering. Suffering is God's restoration strategy. But it's not for anybody. It's only for those who have been redeemed. It's only for those who are in Christ. Because the restoration is not simply to the original image. The restoration is to the likeness of Christ, who is the image of God. It is for the redeemed. We are being made into his likeness. So we don't simply live as exiles. We actually live as redeemed exiles. What's the difference? Is there a difference between living as exiles and living as redeemed exiles? Peter says, yes. When you live as a redeemed exile, you take advantage of all the gifts that God has given you to empower you to live in such a way. What are those gifts? Let's go back to verse 1 of the same chapter. Just before Mike started reading in verse 13, there are 12 verses that list nine gifts that have been given to us by God to empower us to live as redeemed exiles. Listen to this, verse one. You have been chosen by God through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. The whole Trinity is involved in our redemption because redemption begins and ends with God. Verse three, we've been given the gift of hope through new birth. You've been given a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 4, you've been given an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Verse 5, you've been shielded by God's power through faith until the revealing of salvation in the last time. Verse 8, you've been given the gift of loving his son. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Verse 8, You've been given the gift of faith. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. Verse 8 again, gift of joy. You are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Verse 17, the gift of belonging and the gift of justice. You are filled with an... Sorry, gift of belonging. You call on a father 
who judges impartially. Verse 19, the gift of redemption. You have been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish. Give up your sacrificial system. There has been a lamb that's been offered without blemish, without defect. Through him you believe in God. Redemption begins and ends with God. Nine gifts that have been given to this early community that's suffering in Asia Minor and that Peter is writing to live as exiles. But before he tells them that, he says, grace and peace are yours in abundance. And if the early Christians in Asia Minor in the first century had that, it is ours in Christ as well. Before God calls us to live as redeemed exiles, he's given us these nine gifts to claim our identity as redeemed exiles is to claim these nine gifts. You, as individuals, and as the body of Christ, no matter where you come from, no matter where you're heading back out, you have been chosen by God, sanctified by the Spirit through Jesus Christ. You, have been given a new birth into a living hope. You have been given an inheritance that could never perish or fade or spoil. You are shielded by God's power. You have been given the gift of loving His Son and believing in Him even though you don't see Him. You have been given inexpressible and glorious joy. You have been given the gift of belonging even when you're far away from your home. God has become your home. He has become your father and he will judge justly. All the actions that have been taken against you, that have added to your suffering, he will redeem the moments when you are slandered, rejected, threatened, excluded, gossiped about, not welcomed. He will judge each person's actions impartially because he shields you with his power and he redeemed you for himself. Peter says to us and to the Christians who are suffering in the first century, do not make your home in your past. Relapsing is not the way to go. And Peter says to us, and to that community 2,000 years ago, do not make your home in a present that tries to avoid suffering. Rather, name and claim your identity as redeemed exiles. Make your home 
in the suffering Redeemer who lives in you and who has called you to this identity of redeemed exiles. Last night, Ephraim shared from a movie, Apollo 13. And so I gave myself the license to share from another movie tonight. This time it's Disney. The Lion King has a scene about halfway through the movie where wise Rafiki, the baboon, shows up in Simba's life. And he takes him to a lake and he says, do you want to see your father? And he says, of course. Is it possible? He's dead. And he said, no, it's possible. And he goes and he looks into the lake and he sees his own image, his own reflection. And so he says to Rafiki, it's me. And Rafiki says, look harder. He lives in you. And Simba does, and he looks, and all of a sudden his image starts looking a lot like his father's image. And he hears the wind, and he hears a voice, and he lifts his head to the sky, and he sees his father, and his father starts talking to him, and his father talks to him with such sadness, and he says, Simba, you have forgotten me. And Simba says, no, never. And he said, you have forgotten who you are, so you have forgotten me. Then Mufasa disappears, and Simba sits there reflecting. But as Mufasa disappears, he says to him, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Remember. And then Rafiki comes on the scene, and he talks about how the weather is changing. And then he says, change is good. But Simba responds, yeah, but it's not easy. I know what I have to do, but going back means I'll have to face my past. I've been running from it for so long. Rafiki wisely responds, the past can hurt, but the way I see it, you can either run from it or you can learn from it. The past hurts. It's not easy for us to look back to what happened in Eden and confess that that was humanity's first exile. That the image of Christ in us, the image of God in us was distorted way back then and we've been living with the consequences. It's hard to look back because it hurts because we've been running away from it for so long. But we know that the only way to recognize our deep, deep need for redemption is to look to our past and to learn from it. 
the only way to recognize that we're absolutely incapable of redeeming ourselves or helping ourselves or saving ourselves is to look back to that first exile and say, yes, this is my past. Yes, this hurts, but I need you how I need you. Look hard. He lives in you. That's why Peter concludes with this. Therefore, verse 13, prepare your minds for action. The word prepare in Greek is actually gird your minds. And the word gird is an image of, uh, it's actually from the Middle East. Our farmers in the south, in the villages, they wear long dresses. It's called galabeya. The galabeya is down all the time, except when they're in the field. Then they fold it up, and they tie it around their waist, and they tuck it in order to remove any hindrance from their feet and their legs as they're moving around the field, as they're working. This is the image that Peter is using. Gird up your mind means prepare it for action. Remove any hindrance that is stopping you from work. Clear every obstacle so that you're free to run when I say run. You're free to bend when I say bend. You're free to jump when I say jump. Gird up your minds, prepare your minds for action. This is the time to live as redeemed, exiled, so that we join God in his redeeming work. And how do you do that? Two ways. One, be self-controlled. That's your role. That's your part. Be self-controlled. What goes in, what goes out of your mind, what goes out of your mouth, what goes into your eyes, what goes into your ears, what you put in other people's ears. How you behave, how you live as holy people, set apart as holy people, whole in Christ. Prepare your minds for actions. There's no time to waste. The Lord is near. You've been redeemed. Live as redeemed exiles. Prepare your mind. Be self-controlled. That's your rule. But also, put your hope fully on the grace of God. Set your hope fully on the grace of God to be revealed on the last day. I love that balance of God's part, our part. We have a part to play, but we're not doing it because we're trying to earn something away from God, independent from God. Be self-controlled, yes, but set your hope not on how controlled you are, but on the grace you will receive, you will be given. That's your hope. Live as redeemed exiles in the way that Daniel lived as an exile. Self-controlled, mind girded for action, and yet relying fully on the grace of God to be given. Live your mind, live your lives as, as Naaman's servant girl, in exile, and yet working with God on redeeming this man. Self-controlled and yet relying fully, setting her hope only on God's grace. Therefore, 
Prepare your minds for actions. Be self-controlled. Set your hopes fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Right where you are, excel as an exile. Bloom where you're planted is Peter's message to us. But always remember who you are. Redeemed exiles in this world. Back in Michigan several years ago, my friend Leila, a few months after she moved to Michigan, decided to go back to Chicago. We couldn't believe her decision. We thought it was way too risky, but she felt compelled by God's call to join his redeeming act in redeeming her family. So she moved back with her eight-year-old son. Only one sister opened her home for her. She took her in with her son. And after several weeks, she started wondering about Layla. Layla is expressing this inexpressible joy. Layla has this living hope. Layla is loving. Layla is peaceful. Layla is a whole different creature than the one we knew. And she started asking questions, and by God's grace, Layla was ready to give a defense for the reason for her hope. Her sister became a believer. Eventually, another sister became a believer. And the last time we talked, Layla was persistent in praying for her parents, reaching out to them with honor, with gentleness, and with respect. Layla moved back to her land of suffering. Layla went to her past to learn from it, not to run from it. Layla knew that she was called to be a redeemed exile to her family. I don't know where God is calling you today to go to, Maybe some of you need to revisit your past and recognize your need for a redeemer. Maybe some of you need to go back to certain relationships and ask for God's reconciling redemption there. Maybe some of you are being called to a land, a nation, a people that you have hardly heard anything about, but you have the stuck in your heart to go and do God's redemptive work there. I don't know where God is calling you, but all I know is that he's given each of us nine gifts, enough to carry us through whatever calling he has placed in our lives. Remember who you are. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Father, our Judge, our friend. Thank you because in you we have redemption. Thank you because in you we have a home. Thank you because you are the only one who can deal with our past. Thank you that we're free to trust you. 
Thank you for the gift of faith. And for those of us who don't have it yet, I pray, Lord, that you would give that gift now. I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be softened, that we would ask to believe, and that you would increase our faith, that you would help our unbelief. God, we want to join you in your redemptive work. We want to restore this world, your world, with you, even if the price is our suffering. Give us faith. Give us hope. Give us love. In your name we pray. Amen.